Welcome to Killer Serials. This is Tony Jones. This is Ryan Parker. And we are glad to have you back for another episode of talking about WandaVision. This is a very special episode, Ryan. A very, very special episode. Why is that? Well, that's the name of the WandaVision episode, bro. <laughs> on a very special episode. <laughs> it's like who's on first. So our podcast should similarly be a very special episode. It turns out everything Tommy predicted um, came true. And here in episode five, we're just going deeper into this into this rabbit hole of Wanda's grief, which is, I mean, I think it's such an interesting... But basically, what's revealed in this episode is that Wanda's grief has created this town. And she's, you know, she's living, it seems to me, under a false illusion that everything's going to be fine and she will be able to live in this grief-created town indefinitely with no problems. But of course, there's all sorts of problems, not the least of which is that Vision is starting to figure out that something is fishy. Yes. I am very intrigued by how the issue of Wanda's agency, because there are moments where it seems that it's beyond her control. And then obviously there are moments like when she steps out of Westview and confronts, you know, the FBI and sword and shield and all these agencies when she is completely in control that she is holding this mm -hmm. whole thing together. But I like how you point out that it is a byproduct of her grief and how that often overtakes us. You know, we've talked about losing parents and certainly we're in a moment now where people are just wrecked by grief and it makes us do wild things, right? Create alternate universes and other storylines to explain why we are where we are. But mm -hmm. yeah, she's... I, I, She's probably more in control than not in control, obviously, but I think there are ways in which it's it's starting to slip out of her control, this world that she's created. And it's, to your point, certainly through vision that we are seeing kind of the inner workings of this, right? She's expending an enormous amount of energy mind-controlling the residents of this town mm -hmm. who are who feel like they're being tortured by her. And she doesn't quite see it that way, does she? Right. I mean, we get these little um, glimpses into this for the first time in this in this episode, which I think is pretty fascinating. I mean, I, but before we go into the deep stuff, I just wonder what you think of some of the character development stuff, because I think it's, you know, it's pretty clever. Like, it's obvious that um, Jimmy Woo is a bit of like a kind of a comic relief type guy. He's the He's kind of the bumbling FBI guy who really means well and doesn't, you know, doesn't realize how dark stuff is is going. We see a little trio forming between Jimmy Woo, Monica Rambo, and the scientist Darcy Lewis, and they're kind of over against di the director of Sword, director Tyler Hayward, and all of his goons, you know. So we see this kind of forming on the outside of the town that there's a little community that's formed in, in all these characters. Yeah, I, I thought that worked particularly well, the inside-outside dynamic. And it feels like that would be kind of characteristic of... Have you, I know that you have the, the show notes in front of you. 
do you do you recall how many episodes will be in this limited se- is it 8 8 or 10 they're going to be 9 they're going to be 9 episodes in this okay in, in the first season which may be all there is um it might be just a limited series but yeah there's yeah well be we're nine, we're so. over halfway through right i mean we're yeah mm-hmm. so yeah this is going to be a, it seems to me uh a two big struggles here as you said first and we'll come back to it but with vision and wanda inside westview and then between wanda and these forces outside of the of the boundary that she's constructed and seemingly fortified by the end of this episode. And yeah, I, I thought that worked really well. I love Randall Park. I said this before. They're a fun mm-hmm. trio. You got a little, as you said, you have some comic relief. And of course you have Rambo, who's just all business and figuring out the dynamics of how to get in and out of that space that she's created. But yeah, it didn't feel, you know, a lot of these shows, if you watch, I, I doubt you watched Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or anything like that, but I felt like the the aesthetics of that dynamic worked really, really well. I thought the the production value has been great. I mean, and again, I've said this before, but the aesthetics of the t- the faux television show is just awesome. Yeah. Oh, incredible. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I love those characters, man. I, I'm, I am not, as long as it's with those three, which it seems like it will be. I'm fine being outside of Wanda's world, you know, as as cool as that is to see what's going to happen inside. They did a really good job of crafting some characters who kind of, at least for me, kept my attention as we're trying to, as they're trying to figure out how to handle what's going on. Yeah, it's always nighttime and always raining outside of <laughs> outside of yeah. Wanda's creative town. I mean, it, it wasn't when we first were introduced to the town because the cops were, you know, on the edge of the town and saying to Jimmy Woo, there is no town behind us. That was the last sunny day outside of, of Wanda's town. So they're definitely creating, you know, on the inside... There's this inside outside, which we've talked about it before, but you know, it's part of like the fascination or I think the intrigue in Downton Abbey. And part of the reason why Downton Abbey, I think, was so successful was there's this aristocratic semi-royal family who lives upstairs in the Abbey. And then there's all the servants who live and eat downstairs. And if you even remember, like the promo poster of Downton Abbey one season was basically a reflection of the people upstairs and the people downstairs, you know, Mm -hmm. reflecting one another. So there's this inside outside kind of thing. It's, it, this is not uncommon to do this. And we've talked before about how, how similar this is to the Truman show. You know, it's, it, I think it's a similar kind of vibe of inside and outside this bubble, but this bubble that's been created, let's talk about your, your question of Wanda's agency. I think it's a fascinating question because, you know, Tommy told us uh, last week that one of the things about Wanda Maximoff is that she kind of loses control of, the changes she makes in her environment when she gets emotional and in in some ways you know when she, when she's calm she's in control but when she's when she's emotional when she gets sad or angry things happen around her that she doesn't really have full control over so what's your you know wh- where do you stand on that on her agency in this yeah i don't i don't know that i have a particular point to make about it other than was it Rambo or Darcy in, in a recent episode 
said, you know, she's expending a tremendous amount of energy to to create this yeah. world and to control these people. And yeah, at some point that just goes beyond your, this thing that you've created grows beyond your ability to contain it. And we mm-hmm. see that in tons of areas in real life, you know. So I, I we'll learn more about that. I, I think we will learn more about her agency. We see it in flashes when she goes to retrieve Vision's body. She's extremely powerful. Mm-hmm. But for me now, that's just the interesting thing is like, how is the world that she's created moving beyond her ability to control it? But what I also think, and I think this is somewhat related to it. One of the scenes in this episode that really struck me because death is a, a huge theme of this episode. It's what causes her to create this world. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also result there is death in the world also that she's created. So it, it's really interesting because the two boys, Billy and Tommy, the twins, they grow up and it seems as if they are able to grow themselves. Mm-hmm. And they get a puppy. And then the puppy dies, which is very disturbing to Vision. But she, what's interesting about that to me, and this I think gets at her relationship to, to the world that she, she's created, because she tells her boys, you have to feel the grief, right? You can't, don't grow yourselves up. You've got to let this dog, you got to process this. And she is not doing that at all. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's one of those interesting moments of projection you know and and we're starting to see this that i think you know at, at one point vision even comes close to accusing her of projecting because she's basically doing to the people around her exactly what she doesn't want done to her now but l- let's talk too about what seems to be the pivotal conversation or moment or scene in this episode and a few things happen it one is wanda you know wanda basically leaves the town like walks outside of the bubble and she's in her more traditional wanda maximoff superhero outfit and she's confronted by the sword agents and she has you know all these uh laser assault rifles pointed at her when she comes out and interestingly, Monica Rambo comes to her defense and tries to explain. He, she's trying to explain to the sword director, even before Wanda arrives or emerges, that she's like, well, Wanda's doing this, but Wanda's not a terrorist. And she says, my point is, I don't believe she has a political agenda or any inclination toward destruction. So she's got a point. Like, Wanda is not out to destroy people, but the director of S.W.O.R.D. also has a point because he says she's holding thousands of people hostage. Yeah, and they're in pain. They're in pain, like Norm. Norm is Vision's co-worker when they're having this kind of comic scene because they're getting their first computers and learning about how to send an email. And then Norm gets a mysterious email on his machine, snaps, like kind of like gets extracted briefly from the Matrix and looks at Vision and says, she's, you know, I'm in a, basically I'm in extraordinary pain. She, she's holding me against my will. I want to get out of this. And then he snaps back into the Matrix, and he's back to his silly norm saying, if I sent an email, where would I put the stamp? And, you know, then the live studio audience laughs. So 
there we're, we're seeing little glimpses of the fact that Wanda is holding people against their wills, but we also hear her apologist Monica Rambo saying she's not a terrorist, like she's not trying to hurt people. So I, there's there's truth on both sides. Yeah, absolutely. I love the office scenes, which are seem to be always played for comic relief, but it's really eerie and super dark. And this is what the director knows. This is what Jimmy's character knows that there are people who are separated from their families, right? So who are being held hostage. But yeah, you're right. I mean, it's it's that byproduct of her spell that she's cast that she seems to be unaware. Like, is she unaware of it or does she just not care? Because Vision brings this up to her and she just kind of brushes that off, doesn't she? Yeah, I think she brushes it off because she doesn't want to admit it to him that basically he's dead and she killed him. The question is, is this a figment of her imagination? And I I think another big question for the comic book nerds is, how does she bring him back without that, you know, magic stone that lives in his head? So Mm -hmm. some of those answers for the super comic book nerds are going to have to be answered as time goes on. Another big part of this episode is these kids who were, you know, who were born previously, but now, you know, the episode starts with them as infants crying. What happens with the kids also reveals something about Agnes. For instance, Agnes is there to help calm the kids down. And when they grow up before her eyes, she is not shocked by that. She kind of takes that in stride. And that also throws vision off. Yeah, exactly. For the kids to grow that quickly doesn't surprise him because he he knows that Wanda's world is odd and things happen oddly. But it does surprise him that Agnes doesn't have a response. And he says something like, you can't do that right in front of her. And Wanda says, well, I don't think she noticed. But it seems more likely that Agnes is in on it or knows what's happening. That's exactly what I was going to say. And even before then, she asks Wanda, if she she essentially says, do you want to do that over? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And so it's clear now at this point, they must be acting in concert together to create this world and to maintain this illusion. Because you're right. She she is either completely oblivious to everything going on around her, or more likely, she's just in on it. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. If if Jimmy Woo is the comic relief on the outside of the bubble, Agnes is the comic relief on the inside, right? And and you've been praising Catherine Hahn's performance since the first episode, but also it makes you think as a viewer, there's something dark around the oh, corner yeah, with right now. Agnes. Yeah. Like, because Agnes is either in on it or she herself is being held hostage, right? Mm, yeah, yeah. Hey, Tony, you brought up, uh, there's one last thing I think we can take a few minutes to talk about, and I'm super interested to know if you've thought about this, if you've read about this, but it just so happened that we're right on the tail and Sundance 2021 has just ended. And I watched a documentary this week that I found kind of mind blowing and is a perfect companion to this series. So I think this series is a great introduction to the idea of simulation theory. And I don't Mm. know if you've Mm -hmm. read about this as a, I guess you'd maybe say as a philosophy or, and we could talk about the theological implications, but most people 
probably listening to this probably know, you know, but this, the very quick idea is that the simulation hypothesis or theory is that everything, our lives lived here on Earth, Earth and the universe is a computer simulation or mm-hmm. created by a more advanced species. And uh, this documentary that I watched that I recommend to people and we should put in the show notes is called A Glitch in the Matrix. Mm. And this filmmaker interviews people who really believe this, right? Wow. Some of these people are pastors, Tony. Uh, so I found completely <laughs> okay. interesting. Yeah. And not yeah. not crazy, right? Like not kooky. They talk about things that they've seen in their life, which you and I might say are just coincidences, mm-hmm. but really fascinating stuff. And then it t- talks about um, the role that, in really kind of amplifying this theory, the role that the Matrix series had mm-hmm. um, on people mm-hmm. who believe this. And there's a, there are multiple cases uh, around the world of people killing their parents or friends to prove that it was all a part of the Matrix, right? There was one particular case in Virginia, and much of the documentary is this guy narrating or talking about from prison his love for the Matrix, what it meant for him. And wow. And in cold detail, how he killed his parents to prove that that was part of simulation theory because it wasn't going to be real, right? And he talked about the moment he watched their heads explode and he was like, oh, what have I done? Holy shit. And so I don't know if you've thought much about that, what you think about that theory, if, you know, how it may relate to more traditional theological understandings of the world. I mean, what is creation if not a simulation, right? If you talk about intelligent design or, yeah, or things like that. And anyway, that's just something I thought about. I think because it w- Wanda has created a simulation, right? And there are people who are living inside that. And then the glitches are what we're seeing in the last two episodes. And you've even used that word. Yeah, I agree. I have thought a lot about it and read quite a bit about this. I, th- this idea makes great fodder for fiction. And it's traditionally been called the brain in a vat theory. That yes. you, yeah. you know, that you're nothing but a brain in a vat, and everything that's happening that you think is real is just being simulated by stimulating your brain. the The entire, you know, Matrix movies are based on that idea, and we've talked about this before, but heavily influenced by a book by the French philosopher Jean Baudrillard called simulacra and simulation which is i think one of the great philosophical texts of the 20th century in fact when i went to disneyland in southern california with my son who was i think he was maybe seven or eight at the time i made him memorize a line from baudrillard's work in which in the line is this good lord Disney, ready? Of course you did. And then of course on, you did. On the shuttle bus. No, no, on the shuttle bus, uh, on the way from our hotel, from our Disney-owned hotel to Disneyland entrance, I made him repeat this out loud so other people on the bus could hear it. Disneyland is the first toxic excrement of the hyper-real society. I just made him repeat that. <laughs> over over. That's the best thing. That's <laughs> incredible. Dude, that is incredible. Because Baudrillard's point is that <laughs> no people were just up? like with their did they take with their Mickey Mouse ears on ears? Yes, and they're looking yes. at him like oh my god you <laughs> they know took his the lunch people money. who 
They're the people who get the season tickets and have all the pins on their lanyard with their season pass around their neck. And they've got all the pins on it because they're just absolute freaks about Disney Devotees, and- <laughs> Tony. Devo- uh, devotees. And I'm, and I'm, it's a first toxic excrement of a hyper real society. And Baudrillard's point is that Disneyland is a 1950s America that never existed. So what a simulacrum mm. is, all right, a simulacrum in Baudrillard's definition is a copy for which there is no original. So it's it's a copy of something that doesn't actually exist. So Disneyland, as an example, is a copy of an America that actually did not exist because America was never like that. Orderly, clean streets, you know, fairy tales and superheroes like that with, with a magic kingdom and fireworks every night. It's it's trying to recreate something, but there can't be a re because there was never an original. And you I, I think it's a fascinating, you know, whenever something like that in fiction, whether it's a novel or a film or a television series, is created, there's always something evil that starts to turn in it because, of course, Wanda's vision of a town is not as perfect as she wishes, and things are going to start to go wrong and she won't be able to hold it all together and the same goes for disneyland the same goes for the truman show the same goes for the matrix all these simulacra are are broken you know are ultimately broken. so it's the real it's kind of the real that interferes or breaks into the hyper real yeah right the darkness of the real or the the chaos you might say if you want to use like biblical terms from the book of Genesis, the chaos re-enters the perfect Garden of Eden. I mean, that's one read, right, of Adam and Eve getting cast out of the Garden of Eden, is that by eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they made a crack in in the matrix so that chaos, which God had expelled by creating, by separating the land from the sea and the light from the dark and the day from the night, God takes chaos, you know, the Ruach of God moves over the chaotic um, proto-creation, separates everything, puts it in categories, makes it orderly, and then Adam and Eve are in this perfect garden. They let chaos back in by talking to the serpent, by eating from the tree of the fruit of you know the knowledge of good and evil and then god has to send them out and they go back out into a world as we know which is full of chaos in the form of cancer and earthquakes and insurrection and car wrecks and you just go down the line i'm I'm just so intrigued by what this says about our just the human experience Mm mm-hmm this documentary, I'll send a link to you, Tony, and you might want to check it out, put it in the notes, but our ability to deal with the chaos of life and how we address it through religion, philosophy, the idea that we're not in control because we're part of a simulation. It's just, it's endlessly intriguing to me. So, um, and I think this show is certainly 
not as obsessed with the philosophical ideas, but certainly a pop culture version of of this. It's an entree into for people who may want to read more or have never been introduced to that. I think it's a intelligent way to tee that up, you know, through a superhero universe. So yeah, it's a great setting for fiction because it's it seems perfect on the surface, but it does not take long for the viewer or the reader to see things are going to start going terribly wrong. So yeah, I, I'm I'm fascinated by it. I, I'm glad we're watching it and I hope that our listeners are similarly enjoying uh WandaVision. So thanks everybody for listening to Killer Serials again this week. We will continue going a few for a few more weeks to get through WandaVision. And until next time, stay safe. Thanks for listening Take to Killer Serials. Bye-bye.